Welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. Are you taking I a am, stand against I'm something? fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mario Ponzio. This is a very standard episode for us, but it's also very special. We've got our, our, our best podcast friend, JP, here today. Oh, thank you Get for that. Fuck Jeff. <laughs> that... Well, Jeff has only been here one time. And, uh... And Chris. And Chris, yeah. They've only, they've only been here... Oh, Chris was, was Chris here twice. Oh, uh, yeah, he was here twice. He was here for the Joker and... No. I thought he was here on the second episode. He was here episode. for the Joker. Oh, I thought he was here on the second episode. He was here for the Joker and then we did that thing that we never did again because nobody ever called us. When we got we started yeah. the phone number thing, we wanted people to tell us our pivotal films and he told us his pivotal film, which is that stick figure animated thing, um, which I watched is just really... Difficult. I forget the name of it. Fuck. But it's hard. It's not super fun. Um, but today's episode is about having fun. I think, right? Fun? Rock is fun. Rock is fun. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> what do you mean it's fine? It's music documentaries. Music documentaries! And, and, and made, a movie. And a movie. And, and a list, another list. You know, I'm very hot. You take over for a second. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take my sweatshirt off. Oh, um, JP, I'm you take. Oh my God, JP's also. Awesome. Oh my God, everyone's stripping. <laughs> <laughs> this episode got a lot more fun. Everyone, everyone's taking off. I'm keeping my clothes off. Oh, we got a Marvel shirt. We got a Bar Harbor shirt. Bar Harbor established in 1796. I don't believe that. But yeah, we're talking about three. Like we have what three. <laughs> Big music, or at least the three big music documentaries of the year: yeah, uh, Velvet Underground, uh, Sparks Brothers, and uh, Beatles Get Back. Or yeah. I don't think there's any other ones. Re- Made re-missed. by three major directors mm. who've all decided in the same year. Kind of. I mean, obviously, it wasn't planned like that. It absolutely they, was. They, <laughs> Todd Haynes, Edgar Wright, and Peter Jackson just sat down for a while. They're, they talked for a second about you know. Paul Haynes is like, guys, check this out. Brilliant idea. Cause didn't Edgar Wright help with the writing of um, Adventures of Tintin? I don't know. I think he did. I will look that up later. He was like, guys, why is there doing another Adventure of Tintin with a Barbie doll? And Todd Haynes like, I already did that. <laughs> no, Todd yeah. Haynes said that. Todd Haynes said that to Peter Jackson and Edgar Wright, and they're like, get out of here, Todd Haynes. <laughs> let's, let's tell the other side of the Carpenter story. Um... Not just Gary Carpenter. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do that. Um, and then we're going to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, Licorice Pizza, which I know everyone has been dying for us to talk Edgar about. Edgar Wright was invited to write the script for Tintin. Oh, but he didn't do it? No, he was busy with who, other stuff. Who did it instead? Steven, I think Steve Moffat did it. Oh, sure, Steve Moffat. Um, and then, as a special bonus for our... Oh, no, he did, he did partially write the screenplay. Good. Let's make sure Edgar Wright gets all the credit he deserves for Adventures of the script for Adventures of Tintin, um, and then we're gonna do we're gonna um, go through our, our each of our top five records for the year. This is the first like non film list we're doing. Kind now of. Didn't you do books once? We, well, we, we did, did Stephen, Stephen King, King books. books. You, were you, were, you were here for yeah. yeah. And then we did the Ant Kind episode, right. which is our most popular episode. So maybe this will be our most popular episode because we're talking about talk about tunes. Um, should we not talk about the Ant Kind episode? Oh no, I'm just saying it won't be as popular as the Ant Kind episode. Oh, we were the first person. I wasn't sure if you knew we were the first. About, like, the we were the first people who it. did the Ant Kind. You think that's thing. what it is? Yeah, I think so. The Charlie Kaufman subreddit. The second we released that episode, like they just like posted it. They're like, <laughs> guys, check it out. 
I don't Somebody talked about the entire episode. I think we needed like some more time to digest. Oh, absolutely. That book. Did you end up reading Ankind? Oh yeah, yeah. Did I read like... it back then. Yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah. it's so good. I don't have my copy of Ankind anymore. What happened to? Oh, gave it to someone. It's just it's lost the ether. Yeah. Of schmuck. Let's take a let's take a moment of silence for Mara's copy of Ankind. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, that that wasn't a very long moment. I'm sorry. Um, we're going to start, I think the, the holding the mic thing is like throwing me off my game. I feel like I need to be like an MC. Do you want to switch? No, no. I don't want you to hold your mic. I'll hold your mic. Hold the mic. Um, because of the way that I have all this configured, I need I just to have it right up into my mouth. I need to have it right up into my mouth or else yeah. it sounds like very echoey and stuff. Um, let's start with, I think... We're kind of doing an amalgamation of these three, right? Yeah, but I think we're going to... I think the place I want to start is with... Um, I don't know how I want to start. So we have Get Back, um, The Sparks Brothers, and The Velvet Underground. Let's do a quick uh, check in with JP. What did you think of those? What did you think of the three movies in total? Which one was your favorite? Um, just kind of general thoughts on the on the experience of the three films. Did you see the Sparks Brothers? Because I saw it like when it first came out. In no, I saw it a couple months ago. Okay. Sparks yeah, Brothers yeah. came out in May. Came out a while right? ago. Like in streaming. spring. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now it's on Netflix, which is cool. So all three of the documentaries we're talking about it's HBO or uh, Disney Plus, uh, Apple TV, and, and Netflix. Yeah. So H- HBO Max and Hulu, or Hulu, I guess, is Disney. HBO Max. What the fuck are you guys doing? Everyone wants well, to listen have, to a. They got Bill Simmons series. I was gonna say, did get, you watch? But it? none of uh, I watched the, the Bee Gees yeah. uh, guy one. Which one did he do? The f- no, uh, what the fuck's the guy's name? Oh, the, the guy who the the guy who made the Bee Gees and Saturday Night Fever in Greece. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I forget his name, but yeah. yeah, I didn't. See, that's the one I didn't watch. But I watched the Alanis Morissette one, which was okay. I watched the Woodstock '99 one, which was okay. Oh, the, that one too. Oh, yep, that that was I good. That was good. Good things about that one. It was okay. It, it was very um, it indulged in some of the things that like it clearly didn't. Uh, it was holding the uh, the festival itself accountable for, like showing like women's breasts. It was doing it. All it was showing all of it. Yeah. Um, and they like I listened to interviews. Is that, is that Robert Stigwood? Robert Stigwood. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't see that one. I didn't see the Juice World one either. Um, I turned the Kenny G one off because it wasn't as clever as I think they thought it was. Um, and Kenny G is not as interesting. A, a I didn't know why they thought. How music documentaries they release every year? So this, so this year was weird because the, um, the Ringer, which we talk about a lot on this podcast, they partnered with HBO and they have like a new series of music docs called Music Box. And so they released six music documentaries this year. So it's like the HBO documentary series. Basically. It's like they're of, yeah. 30 for 30, Absolutely except for, for HBO yeah, and for music. music. Um, honestly, there's a lot because a lot of bands will just do, you know, a doc. Um, overall, though, on these three, what, was your, what were your thoughts on them? Well, Velvet Underground was my favorite. Okay, really? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I, all that archival footage, uh, the split screen. Uh, I wish they had more Lou, but obviously mm-hmm. he's gone. Um, I really like the Sparks one. I Again, I, I'm a sucker for 70s archival footage. I do not like Sparks at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm fascinated with that 
keyboard player and the and i learned a lot i i all the main thing i want from a music documentary especially if it's a band i don't know well is learning a lot about Mm -hmm. so i didn't know he was the lyricist i didn't know that either and he i'm just fascinated by him how his just all these tv appearances and his uh persona uh and they had a lot of good talking heads a lot of you know a lot of good stuff but again the music i just i tried i really tried i listened to a bunch of their albums i, I just can't get 24 into 24 albums yeah they have a ton of music and i grew, I grew so, up with sparks records like those early sparks records were in my house were are, they? are sparks um, so sparks i did not even know were a thing until legitimately this year mm-hmm. until yeah i think my first introduction to sparks was like knowing edgar wright was doing a documentary about them okay and then whatever the fuck they did with the dead, which is fine, but you know, it's like the perfect uh, way they, to describe that. Um, are they like known for being iconoclast, kind of like in the underground of music? Because well, like I, I thought. I mean, I don't. If interrupt me whenever you want. I thought my problem with the Sparks documentary is that it seemed like a little bit of like a reappraisal right. of Sparks, and so the people that they had talking about Sparks are the exact people that I thought would like. Sparks, and I yep. think I think if you give Sparks to anybody, a normal person, they're going to be like, "I don't get it. Like, right. It's what is it? I, I don't understand." And so that's what I found fascinating about the like all the TV appearances that you said that they were. They seemed like they were, but they did a good job of explaining why they were particularly, you know, liked in England, and uh, right. you know, they 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 hone in on like this sort of very English sort of style of old time music mm-hmm. again i don't like it <laughs> what, what i find interesting is like i like the music i actually huh. enjoy the sparks music i really enjoy that opening number like the best part for me of annette outside of um oh, simon helberg simon helberg is that the actor's name mm-hmm. uh helberg helberg, helberg? Yeah. i mean well, there's there's a writer named simon kielberg and an actor named simon helberg so it's very confusing yeah um is that opening number so i actually think i enjoy what the sparks are doing i don't their story for me, and I mentioned this to you off off stream. I, I off stream off podcast. I fell asleep an hour and a half into this movie because mm-hmm. it's so blandly presented. Oh yeah. Um, Wait, because I don't. I don't of cut out of paper mm, cutouts. Yeah, I just didn't like I that? didn't care about their story, but I'm like their music's fine. But I don't care about the Sparks story. Well, so that's the interesting. But I'm fine. I, I I actually find like that kind of like avant garde experiment to be interesting mm-hmm. and fun. I think the, I think what's interesting about it, so the, the movie I kept comparing this to is, not comparing it to in the sense that they function on the same level, but in that they introduce a musician that most people probably either don't know about or have questions about. And that's the Scott Walker 30th Century Man. Where like, here's a guy who like a bunch of people like knew about at a certain point in in. They made a I put, I put, documentary. I put. I haven't seen that, but I put Scott Walker and Sparks in the same box. I don't get Scott Walker. Sure, oh, I know you like him. You, know, you know we're not talking about the Wisconsin governor, right? Are we talking about my 2019 best? 
yeah, original seen, score winner. You didn't see 30th Century Man? I didn't even know. I didn't know about, once again, I'm not a music guy. So yeah. I didn't even know about Scott Walker until Vox Lux. So the best, the, so Scott, so 30th Century Man basically details the recording of, um, or corresponds with the recording of his 2006 record, The Drift, um, which is just the darkest, most incredibly weird, but amazing record that I've ever heard in my life. Um, and it, because he's a recluse. I mean, he spent 10 years, he took him 10 years between records, between Tilt and The Drift, and then between The Drift and Bish Bosh. That's um, 22 years, I think, and he made three records. And so he's just this kind of guy who, in the 60s, was part of the Walker Brothers and was super popular in England. Um, and then he became a solo artist, and he made these four really weird yeah, yeah. solo records, culminating in Scott Four. Which is just one of the all-time great, like, um, it, the first song is about the Seventh Seal. It literally just tells the plot of the Seventh Seal. That's it. But it's just, you know, that's all it is. But then as he... Was he usually, like, cinematic with his music, or...? It's very cinematic. Very string-heavy. Um, he's like a crooner. But I mean, like, in terms of his theme, was he cinematic? Um... Maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that question. Like specifically, he thought very big, and he always he did things very he did things very grand. He was very influenced by this um, by this French um, singer. I, I'm, I can't remember his name now because I guess it doesn't matter. But I, a, I really think we're doing a, a good enough deep dive. That yeah, there's a period. There's for that. a period in the Scott Walker um, autobiography that is a mystery. And how does he get from doing these shit records of covers for this record label to Tilt? Um, where... Such a bummer that he never got an Oscar nomination, though. Oh, I know. Yeah, but he never did any movies that were like big enough to kind of warrant... I mean, he all did all foreign films and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I still... He, well, I mean, he that, worked with... He worked with um, that Vox Lux score. That Vox Lux score is still like on my workout playlist. Yeah, it's great. I mean, he's fantastic. He's fantastic, and that's the beauty of Thirtieth Century Man is that it un it peels back the layers of mystery on this guy and takes you into his recording studio. It's like this is how he did this. I mean, it's, this it's, it's similar. It's similar. Just has somebody who's kind of like an amateur with us. It's similar to the um, stuff that the Nick Cave documentaries do. It, uh, it, a little bit, but Nick, Nick Cave is not a mystery. Nick Cave, uh, that period of um, um, that one more time of feeling covers is was a mystery because everyone just kind of wanted to know how he felt. So we saw him in Brooklyn, like after that. Yeah. The, the feeling in the auditorium. JP yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I forgot that we're not actually on camera, even though last week I referred to us being on camera a lot. Um, the feeling in the auditorium was like, we're all here for you. Yeah. We want you to be okay because it was his first tour after his son. I do. This is, the Scott Walker thing is different in the sense that like he took 10 years to make albums that were just like the most fucked up crazy albums that you would. I mean, his, the Drift, the second album on the Drift has a song, a 10 minute song about the death of Mussolini. And all the third song in that record is about Elvis and 9/11, told from the perspective of Elvis's stillborn brother Jesse. Okay, you understand what I'm saying here? And then on top, seems like a Scott, a Scott Walker thing. Sure, from what and, I know of Scott absolutely. Walker. And then like it just shows you like how he like the how he like arrived at some of the sounds on the record, how he um, 
kind of like what his process was because nobody knew what his process was. And how much he hated teachers. (laughs) (laughs) He did not like teachers. But is the documentary just about the recording of that, or does it it's, also it fill his, in his history? It splits his time okay, between yeah. the recording of that and the, and the history. The difference, I think, and the reason I'm talking about this so much is that from the Sparks documentary, they're a band that like people kind of either don't know exists at all, or if you do know they exist, you're just like, well, they're just this weird band, the guy with the Hitler mustache, and the guy sings in a high voice, and, yeah. you know, it sounds weird. How do they, what's the story here? And my problem with the Sparks documentary, uh, one out of two problems with the Sparks documentary, we'll get to the other one um, as we talk about the other documentaries, is that it's at a certain point it stops being a story. And then it's just about two bros who really like making music. And their music is interesting and it has some fans and they go through like various levels of popularity. But like... There's no, there's no meat on the bone there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. about how popular they were or weren't at any given. Well, the most moment. fascinating thing is how they were able to just continue making albums. To to what extent of popularity? See, you know, that's what's interesting to me. But that what, in what itself I, isn't super. No, nah, no, super interesting. What I find most dull about the Sparks Brother documentary was it. It reads to me from a filmmaking perspective as somebody who has like no investment in the sparks at all. There's mm-hmm. no investment necessarily. Like I separate the two mediums entirely. Mm-hmm. It reads like a middle school students awesome like report gold fucking star on man. yes a, a creator but who just like loves the fucking sparks. I know which is great, which is awesome. Like right. it's, it's it's good that we have like a really talented filmmaker. A filmmaker who like I'm usually not a huge huge fan of. Like, I like Hot Fuzz, and I like mm-hmm. Sean. I love Sean the Dead and all that. But, like, this year especially, like, there was a lot of Last Night in Soho that's probably going to populate my end-of-the-year list. Okay. Um, in technical categories. Um, <laughs> delete it out there. Make that clear. <laughs> I'm not deleting. I'm not going through this whole thing to delete <laughs> half a second of audio. <laughs> but, like, it, it reads like a – these are two people – who are not necessarily who we need to earn that sort of we need to earn the movie and I never feel as though we earn the movie. He gets he gives you some yes. talking heads in the beginning and then it reads like a report on the sparks and I'm like, but I don't give a shit about these musicians and these actors. Mario. And, like Jason Schwartzman likes the sparks? Cool. <laughs> Jason Schwartzman was also in the Darjeeling Limited. Well, Jason Schwartzman also is not like... Uh, he's in uh, Phantom Planet. But he's, yeah, he's in <laughs> Phantom Planet, but he's also... His mom was in the movie that, like, the Sparks did the soundtrack for. So he's not, like, a super, you know, honest, you know, right. uh, you know, arbiter of whether or not the Sparks are good or not. Yeah. But I think the really interesting thing... So you mentioned the Talking Heads, and I love that, is that... In, and I'll go back to the Scott Walker documentary. In the middle of the Scott Walker documentary, when night when they, they're talking about night moves... So that's the movie that they, that's the album that the Walker Brothers did. They got back together and then their label was going to close. And so Scott Walker was just like, guys, fuck it. Let's do whatever. And that's when he drops the electrician on everybody. And maybe if I'm actually into editing this, this is when I will drop the electrician. And so everyone can hear, boom, boom. Um, but just this great fucking early Scott Walker, like, that kind of illustrates where Scott Walker was going. They drop goddamn fucking David Bowie in there. 
to just tell you some things that he like that he loves Scott Walker. And so when you when David Bowie hanging out in a studio listening to this record and then smiling with his two different color eyes and commenting on this thing and he tells you that he likes that record, you're like, this is probably a good record. If David Bowie is just casually saying like I love this record, this record influenced me, I gotta hear this record. I'm not going to get Sparks records because uh, Patton Oswald and the right. woman that did the Gilmore Girls and Edgar Wright himself like tell me that these records are which good. Is, which is no, also an issue because Edgar... The this, only one I want to hear is a, the Todd Rundgren one and I've heard that one like a bajillion times because Todd a, Rundgren produced it. And This is, this is going to be a cruel thing to say but from a filmmaking perspective Edgar Wright's voice is so grating and he <laughs> needs to never narrate another film. Yeah, but I also he just needs to step out of it, and that's I think the problem yeah. with this documentary is that he's he's too he's too in it, and so he's making choices I think like the animation, um, all the animations, the cut paper animation, the the cartoon animations that just don't really serve any purpose. It's just which is fun, but I don't think. But any, they, they, they 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 all everything in that movie suggests to me the sparks are important to me. Yes. Edgar Wright. Like, I am doing this because they inspire me. And I guess it works if you're like a real Reddit Edgar Wright guy, because that's a thing. Mm-hmm. But like these other two films, like, both of those directors kind of step out of it. So let's go, let's go to, um, let's go to the Velvet Underground. It's we- like, I think, so yeah, I will, my quick review of this, because I don't have, I this is where I have to step out of this, because yeah. I fucking hate the Velvet Underground mm. and I think Lou Reed's awful. I like that one popular song of his. Boom, boom, boom. Walk in the Wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's fine. It's like, it's kind of fun but like I think the Velvet Underground like, I yeah, that's find that's definitely got a color here. But what did you think of the but movie? The movie is once again <laughs> like this thing that assumes I'm there's like a real assumption that you care about the Velvet Underground. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But there's an assumption you care about the Velvet Underground, but it's I'm still trying to. That. But yeah. it's still trying to earn it, which differentiates itself from Get Back for me. That Get Back doesn't give a shit if you care or not. Whereas Velvet Underground's no. still trying to like make like make like trying to tie it into the world. Thoughts. Thoughts. On that on that idea. Although although Velvet Underground has one great moment, I really want to. Mentioned really quickly, so um, what's what's the woman's name in the Maureen band? Maureen Tucker. Yeah, so they have they they mention the part. This is just me hoping Todd Haynes did this on purpose, where she um, talks about like being nervous about performing live and like saying she'll never perform live and somebody rec- like somebody calls it out and somebody does like mm-hmm. in the Texas show and then immediately tops ties into the Boston Tea Party uh, live album mm. like like five minutes afterwards she's a huge tea partier yeah and i really hope that that was like todd haynes like little thing i don't think it is but like in my head i was like i hope that was the thing i don't like, think it is either. tell her to like go fuck yourself he had a lot of because also go fuck yourself he has a lot of respect for the band i so i don't think that he so that's a that was a big thing for like armand like, white was like why didn't you focus more that maureen tucker's a tea partier but the like, thing well that's that's, of, my, that's of, a, on the I music guess, i guess that's my problem with like this too is uh, in a weird way is like Lou Reed is, is a schmuck like 
What do you mean he's a schmuck? Well, he's an infamous yeah. asshole, but... But he's made amazing records. Who cares? He's kind of a schmuck. Like, everyone, no, like, no, no, no. My entire no. thing with the Velvet Underground is, like, Wrong. all those guys kind of read off as schmucks, and I, I just didn't no. necessarily no. care about it. But when you write heroin, you can be a schmuck. When you write Waiting for Your Man, Romeo, for the man, you can Romeo be a Romeo had Juliet. Oh, my God. New York, the oh. album. When you write all of Magic, when you write Magic and Lost, you're allowed to be a little bit of a schmuck. You could also write American Psycho, and then... <laughs> turn out to be a huge <laughs> schmuck and it makes me not like American Psycho anymore. Sometimes sometimes you're allowed to I mean, your, Mario, your opinion I, to be colored I, I, by I'd those be people. I'm interested in going into this like a little bit if you want to. I just reread American Psycho. It is much different than when I read it as like a 19 year old. I, I, I never finished like that, 20. but I love Lesson Zero. See, I hate Oh, I hate Lesson I hate Zero. Lesson Zero. I love, I love I Rules of Attraction. I, lo- I hate Rules of Attraction. I love Americans. I loved American Psycho, and I love Lunar Park. I think Lunar Park is fucking great. I think Lunar Park is him trying to grapple with the fact that like he's a schmuck. But I think, it, but I think he does it well, and it's re- it's super entertaining. American Psycho reads to me now, and he I know he listens to this podcast, so he's one of the twenty that instantly <laughs> downloads it. Um, American Psycho reads to me now as with a, his popped collar, <laughs> yeah. his, and his, his polo shirt with he, Jay McInerney just hanging out. Does next he to still him. have his like his like thirty three year old lover? I think he's in rehab. So the lover, a, the he, um, I think he got arrested live. Brett Easton Ellis is, or yeah, he got arrested live on Instagram because I think he broke into Brett Easton Ellis's house. Oh, his ex lover. I'm piecing stuff together just from kind of like reading people's Ooh. Twitter feeds. Um, I think he broke oh, into Brett, so I think he's in rehab. Doesn't matter. Um, it's so it reads it's so actually I'm going to try to tie this to what we're talking about so American Psycho now reads totally different than it did when I was 19 years old when I was 19 years old I was thrilled both by the, the, the both by the descriptions of clothing and business cards and the musical criticism that he kind of laid in there and by the the violence yeah, I was attached to the violence. I never got to the violence. See, that's, I so, had but, such a hard time with the Genesis shit. It was just like two. It was like two pages. Somebody never read. Every, somebody never read Glamorama. Out of every thirty pages, there was two pages of just like insane violence. Now the violence reads, and I think he would uh, he would appreciate this. It reads very comedic and boring. Yeah. Um, and everything else reads like very dated because people don't. Oh, for you sure. don't care about that stuff anymore. But I, I don't think necessarily as an intention. I, I feel as though the film we're going to talk about, there's a certain intentionality. Well, so my so my feeling is that there's definitely a certain intentionality. My feeling is that the Velvet Underground... And I really liked this. I really liked three quarters of this movie. The Velvet Underground functioned better for me when I knew less. When all I had were the four records, the mm. first four records, and that was it. Because for me, this movie, this movie becomes less interesting as the Velvet Underground become like much less interesting. Yeah. But I think I think the way that Todd Haynes decided to make this movie with all of the archival footage, with um, the, the split stuff. screen stuff, all that things, it's for a long time that holds together while the band was really cool. Yeah. And then I love Loaded, but what I didn't need to know about Loaded was how lame the band was by the time they got to Loaded. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, and I knew that like John Cale wasn't involved anymore. Um, And I could even justify some of like the Velvet Underground's just kind of like quietness 
um, like the absence of John Cale in that as very transgressive as like twenty year old listening to the Velvet Underground for the first time. And transitional for them. Yeah. Sure. And it seemed like and when you go from White Lightweight Heat to Velvet Underground to to Loaded, you're just kind of like, Oh, I get it. it makes right. sense. And especially when you kind of you know about the earth like all they ever talked about was like the early Velvet Underground stuff. Um, I don't know. I felt like I got access to stuff that I sh- I, I didn't want to have access to. You know, but you loved it. You liked it the most. So, well, aside from that. aside from the footage itself, there wasn't too much I didn't already know. Mm. Um, I don't know. See, for me, like I love the Velvet Underground, and uh, I love them too. They're well, the the funny and you know. My introduction, my introduction to them was the Doors movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, and you know, they had um, Venus and Furs over that uh, war factory scene yep. in that, and I was like, "What is this?" Mm-hmm. And then, perfectly for me in this documentary, that's the first thing you hear. Sure. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Because to me, that's, and I, I remember texting you like a year or two ago, being like, "I, I tend to think of rock history as like, oh, the Beatles did air for." The- yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, and I I remember texting you like, the Velvet Underground formed in '64, like know. before Rubber Soul. Well, this is a question. I mean, I think I've so like they are so important, and and you know, you said my thoughts on on Mario's point that China energy. I don't. It's it's only for a certain subset of this the world's population to even like this kind of music. Mm-hmm. So it's for us, you know, like, and, and people who are just even inclined to like it, but yeah. I, I can't stress the importance on their music. So, well, that's, and I've mentioned this. Well, to you, but you, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you, you, you know, just, I was, I was going to just comment directly. Yeah, I've always wondered what the Beatles thought about like the velvet. Or Dylan. Or Dylan. Or like, my question that I would always have loved to ask. Let's Paul ask McCartney. him right now, Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> My question about that I would always ask, would love to ask Paul McCartney is like, what did the Beatles think of the Doors? And because as we're going to talk about like soon, that world, or as I know now, that world was very insular. It seemed like it was literally just the Beatles and Clapton were the only two artists that made music in England in, like, 1969 or 68. That was it. But the Doors, I mean, Light My Fire was Before that, 67, right? Even, like, the Stooges. Like, what did they think of these? What did they think of these American music was so much more avant-garde than British music, British rock. And it was coming from the places where they... Responded to like the Stooges came out of Detroit. The Beatles yeah, yeah, love yeah. Detroit music. You know, the Velvet Underground came out of New York City. The, or the MC5 came out of Detroit. The Beatles love Detroit music. The, you know, the Velvet Underground came out of New York. They like, you know, John Lennon would after the Beatles broke up, he immediately moved to New York City. I right. mean, that's is that an accident? I don't know. Um, I mean, he may have even had a house there beforehand. Um, I don't know, but it's it. This, this, so I, as opposed to the Sparks documentary, the Sparks documentary tries to answer questions. Why are the Sparks good? Mm-hmm. And you should like the Sparks. Velvet Underground doesn't ever try to answer that question. Like, it doesn't ever care if you like the Velvet Underground. It's just like, it assumes, I think, like you said, like, the Vel- it assumes you like the Velvet Underground and appreciate the Velvet Underground. And here is an art piece based on 
the idea of the Velvet Underground, this, right. which is, I think, a, a, a explicitly clear, like, in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie where the whole thing is split screen and, like, you know, you get John Cale's voice and you get Lou Reed's voice and they're just kind of, like, overlapping each other. Mm-hmm. This is the music that John Cale was into and this is the music that Lou Reed was into and, like, how do these things fit? Um, which is the most interesting part of the movie. Like, from a narrative structure, like, that, that breakup is... That break apart between the two is... It's narratively structured the best of yeah. most music documentaries I've seen. Mm-hmm. It's just... it can. That, that, my problem with this is, like, once that Kale um, Reed breakup happens, the movie keeps going for 40 minutes. I and know, like, yeah. Right. And I'm like, right, right. stop. Like, well, so f- like if it, it cuts there. Because, like, a lot of criticism of this in the culture has been... The fact that like they gloss over their self-titled third album or whatever. Yeah, that one. Um, they yeah they, the, s- the they, they skip but past think, it quick. I think we build up the Kale Reed kind of collision, yep. and then like we have that happen with forty minutes left in the movie, and, and then we kind of just such a meander. much less injury. Yeah. and the problem is that John. The problem is that John Kale is alive. And the fact that John Cale can speak on the things that happened, and Lou Reed can't, and well, maybe it's he didn't, and he maybe didn't have. There well, what's interesting? Some more recorded version. And like, what's interesting um, about yeah. it is like is like John Cale, like for his credit, seems like interested in like stepping back a bit and not kind of like overwhelming by going like, Lou Reed's a shithead. Like he seems to be like he's tried to seem to be reflective. He tries to put it in context. Like yeah. if you yeah. like you cut that movie down to like an hour and thirty and end it with a split up and then have you end on Kale's kind of like reflection on it, I think it's a more interesting piece. Well, because it's interesting, especially from the fact of like what Lou Reed wanted to do yeah. from uh, musically and what Reed wanted to do, or not Reed, uh, Kale wanted to do right. musically. Like, I think that's a more interesting story. Right. I think Louis narratively, Reed. this film has a lot of potential. It just fails because it ultimately just ends up being about the Velvet Underground as a band. Right, and that's that's a good point. Um, because Lou Reed wanted to make Walk on the Wild, you know, to go to where you took it, like, in the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Lou Reed wanted to make Walk on the Wild Side. He wanted to be a David Bowie avatar at some point, and... Um, and, and like shape shift like David Bowie did and, and make different kinds of stuff and it wasn't anything until those 80s records where he kind of found his I don't know his most authentic version of himself right you know like the Berlin the late 80s you know Berlin Berlin um, Magic really... and Loss new but uh, all that 80s the band right. Berlin no, no. No, Berlin was in the se- early 70s though. was it in the yeah. 70s? oh it was Bob Ezrin produced well, it right, right. what what's you're New doesn't York, matter. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but for me, for me, I think the thing that um, this documentary has, which the Sparks documentary doesn't have, and we're on the same page as this because we don't find Sparks music particularly right. interesting, is, and I think this is a rock documentary thing, so I'm, we're going to get Mario's comments on this in a little bit. Um there's a moment in this, and I think it's incumbent on all rock documentaries, and all any documentary about a musician has to elevate, like, musically. So for me, and it's one of the moments that I'm going to point to, like, at the end of the year, um, as one of my ten, like, favorite moments, oh, yeah. is the, the ostrich, like, the primitives conversation. Right, right, right. Because... 
And this gets. Did you see? Did you did you see? Come on, come on, yet the Mike Mills no, Walking Phoenix movie. No. So this movie is that song is the introduction. But they so they it starts in L.A. They fly to New York, and when we get to New York, they just kick into the ostrich. Oh yeah. And it's a, but it's it's the same feeling. Yeah. When the ostrich comes in here, when they get the primitives together, so it's like the early version of the Velvet Underground. Um, the movie elevates. Yeah. Perfectly. It becomes very. For yeah, I don't want to say very briefly for like maybe twenty to thirty minutes, it becomes um, a kind of magic, um, and I, like I, I was aware of the ostrich, I knew the primitives, I I'd heard the song a million times. But, well, but think about the it. these guys are they they're just handed like here, write songs, right? And that's so that's exactly what I was going to say is that in co- in the context of the the narrative of this film, when it all comes together when the Reed and Kale sensibilities merge mm-hmm. into like a one sonic burst of just repeating, you know, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I got it. I'll maybe play it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Where is it? Is it coming up? Is it going to be an ad? Oh, there's an yeah. ad. Who is this? Olivia Rodrigo. Put it on. Your internet not very good. Take forever this to load. So when the ostrich kicks in, that's when, for me, the movie ties together and becomes something really special. Yeah. And I think the bummer of what Mario was describing in the last 40 minutes is that it stops doing any of that stuff. It just It's just regular Velvet Underground music. And, like, I love... I, lo- I can't even express if we did a Pivotal Records podcast Loaded would be in my yeah. top 20 Pivotal Records and see that's why I don't have too much of a problem with it because it, it, to me it's the history of the bands the history of the band so if you're, so you go so over it's interesting isn't yeah, it yeah. don't you think it is it is but it's and as somebody, but as somebody who like that's what happened. They petered out. They petered out. They made but, an album but, without either Lou Reed or John Cale. What do I find? What do I find? What I find interesting about like Todd Haynes' construction of this movie is that as somebody who's not a fan of Lou Reed or Velvet Underground in general, um, <laughs> uh, like. The, the narrative structure of this movie works for its first two-thirds until it kind of, like, falls apart. And it feels like it has to finish the story of the Velvet Underground. And it doesn't need to do that. Right. Yeah. Or it could structure itself in a way that is more narratively satisfying from a film perspective. Because I think, ultimately, first and foremost, and this is where a lot of, like, music documentaries are just documentaries about a very particular field... You know, a very particular kind of like niche interest. You know, we classify music as that. Fail is the fact that they just assume that the viewer cares about it, and I think you always should have the assumption of like, if you're making a media in a certain point, if you're making a book or you're making a film, you have to first make a film or a book first, mm. and then make something that's interesting to people who care about yep. it. Now, were you disappointed at all that because it might have helped? They didn't cover the reunion or even songs for Drello when Lou Reed and John Cale got back together. Yeah, um, yes, because it made that it made that break seem very final. When right. I knew that it wasn't there was more. very final. 
And I mean that that tour was, you know, oh, was it not? Was it not there? So they did not. So they got back together in the early '90s or late '80s. uh, Lou and John made an album of uh, a tribute to Andy Warhol album, but then uh, well, that's extremely disappointing. Then the original, but then the original four went on a European tour, and then it it fell apart, right? Right. Acrimony again. Yeah. Well, that's that seems like an interesting. like why so not? Why not? Why not? Why not no, but why not do that? Why not? If you're gonna have like a mid-film turn of Kale and Reed fall apart, why not then try to like end your film on them trying to come back together? But and... this is the problem with all of these with all of these types of things is that they try to make them too broad. So it, it's just like a bi- mostly all these things. It's, <laughs> it's like a biopic or a biopic. It's when they try I think to biopic is focus on I think a biopic when they focus on a particular moment it works better than when they focus on like a larger you know um, swath of that artist which life. which is leading into it uh, the the film for me that works the best and I've only seen most of the first part because uh-huh. it's a real fucking thing it's a is, slog regardless of how it's get back because yeah. get back doesn't slog, get yeah. back doesn't give a fuck about anything. Doesn't care that you. I mean, I don't like the Beatles. We've talked about this enough times. I'm not going to repeat it. But like the fact that it just like drops you into this moment in the life of the Beatles mm-hmm. and just like carries through it without any consideration for narrative structure or anything just works for me because it is by definition like an avant-garde piece. It just is something for a particular subset of people and never tries to be anything else right and i'm not a person who cares about music documentary or cares about documentaries or cares about biographies that try to like cover this big spectrum of things Mm -hmm. i care about like my favorite just going back to novels one of my favorite um my favorite like literature piece that's a biographical piece Mm -hmm. uh is river of doubt by candace millard which is about um Theodore Roosevelt, after he loses the twenty the night twenty twelve the nineteen twelve election, that he awesome. just tries to map a random river in the off the Amazon, oh, yeah, a tributary off book. the Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they slightly cover like the entire twenty twelve uh, Jesus nineteen twelve <laughs> election, but the rest of the book is just about this mm-hmm. and the. I love that. I love when I love when we get these like major fixtures in um, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. major fixtures in pop culture or history where we've seen enough, we've heard enough, we know everything going on, but we focus on one small thing. And right. even if it's not the most necessarily interesting thing, it commits itself to it. And that's mm-hmm. what I love about this. Well, so this is the, the the interesting thing about, and I don't want me to see interesting like so many times, the interesting thing about this movie is that it is the most interesting thing in that like everyone has always asked the question like, why did the Beatles break up? Or how did the Beatles break up? And I love it. I lo- The reason I love this movie, I love this movie for a lot of reasons, but one of them is, and I guess maybe it's like the, the, the least reason, but it's one of the reasons that like, it answers a question without really answering the question. It like sets these four guys up and shows them for 20 days in a studio and shows everything that, you know... Does Ringo Starr stay confused throughout all of it? 
But so, but the first like, because I, I always just say, the say first something. Part, yeah, yeah. But Ringo Starr looks so confused and sad, and I'm like, I love Ringo Starr. So I much. identified with Ringo Starr so much. That's the, the drummer. The drummer talking. Okay, I'm just gonna. We're working on stuff. We're, we're working on stuff. Guys, no, come on, I'll let's let's get back. Just let's get back to it. What am I doing? Yeah. Well, like yeah, Ringo. JP has, JP has played so many in like as someone who's played like lots of music with JP. JP has played so many of those kind of half beats just trying to listen and like yeah. listen to me and Chris or me and Andrew and Chris or whoever just like work out right, like, where is this thing going? And, but but that so- was the most endearing thing is like that's exactly what we did. Oh, I know. You but, just fuck around and you find it. Yep. But it's so that's, this is what I love about this movie. And like I played this movie in the background because fuck paying attention to this movie for eight hours. Like no, no, no Peter no. Jackson, get over yourself. I don't think even I, I don't think even know if he intends. I don't think I don't think he cares about it. About that. But it's just like it's so fun to see people being humans and like not there's no sort of like tincture or whatever characterization here. And I haven't got to part three, which but, I'm assuming no, is going to be a big is, thing. But there is, a, there is like a tincture. There is an artifice, but it's not for the camera. It's for each other. Yeah, yeah, no, for it's sure. They're human. Uh, they're their version of what a human is to the other members of the band. But it's cool. But in it's that so first cool. episode, you they feel you can see they feel the cameras on them, and you don't see that in the second and third episodes. Right. But like, well, I'm, I'm excited to get to that. And I'm not like we talked. Uh, maybe I'm a Beatles person in the sense of like I fucking hate their music, but like I'm interested in them as people. Did you hate their music or and this is? I'm, I don't I'm hate their music. Like, I just don't find their. Mu- just, I don't like listening to their music. Right, but it's also I don't like hearing. But it's also probably and I'm just I'm putting words in your mouth. It's so ubiquitous that like what you think about it doesn't really ma- like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I, it's like I could listen to like a Rolling Stones or a Who song and like be entertained by it. Every time I hear like Beatles songs, there's something in it that sounds so saccharine. And maybe it's it's probably the culture around the Beatles. It's it's Paul McCartney. <laughs> but that's the thing. But that's the thing. This is the thing. I like Wings. Wings is good. But I... I Let me I, roll it. Yeah. I... Very much hate John Lennon, and I hate John oh, Lennon solo stuff, oh, and I don't I, like. I'm a Lennon guy. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah, everyone's a Lennon guy. I fucking can't. I don't wish he died. Don't. I'm not. I don't want to. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm just saying, like, I, I do not respond. No, because I've made that comment in the past. What I'm just saying is, like, I don't respond to his music. I don't respond to his solo stuff. I don't. Mm. I don't like Imagine. I think Imagine is grating to me. That's a weird sure. Song. Imagine is terrible. That's but like, I just song. find his stuff. I find his. There's something about him that's grating to me, mm-hmm. and I think it might be his voice. Mm-hmm. Like, it literally, might be as small as that. Like, his so, voice is grating to me. What I would say is that I think the problem that you're having. With but you I also I, there's yeah. there's like uh, there's like a lack of there's I he's an idea guy. And not a music like he's an idea guy. Like there's an idea thing no, to him. See, and like, so like my favorite Beatle by far is Harrison. Yeah, easily because he Harrison's just like, I want to fucking make music. Like everything I've heard about Harrison is just like this sounds cool. Yeah, and I want to do this. Well, he just wanted to groove, so that's why all of his songs are like I have four chords and I put them in well, this order. Like, like the like as I discovered music in this past year, while well, I've also discovered marijuana. Um, like I'm like oh, it's fun to just like just zone out to it and like Harrison does that whereas like Lennon and I think this is my thing that I've discovered with music is like Lennon wants 
to do something else. I'm like, I don't. Lenin wants to complicate something that I want to be fun. Mm, that's interesting. So it, that's really interesting because you're, you're um, I think in a way that you're setting up like the three-headed monster that is the Beatles writing team and that like George Harrison, as we see when he's doing All Things Must Pass, did you get to I Me Mine or um, For You Blue at all? You, I think you may have. May have, but, yeah. I, but I was watching it like in passing, like I said. George Harrison is really devoted to the, to the, to the groove. And that's a blues groove. That's a smooth, psychedelic kind of rock groove with All Things Must Pass. As we see in like the third episode when he brings Old Brown Shoe in. It's kind of a fast, I love, I love fast old, shuffle. I fucking love Old Brown Shoe, though. Do you love Old Brown uh, Shoe? Really oh, okay. Like yeah. So they introduce Old Brown Shoe in this movie. He writes it. He's like, you know, he makes a bunch of comments about like how Paul told him to write songs and he goes and he comes to... I love, I love, love, love Harrison. Yeah, he comes to work with Old Brown Shoe and they kind of work it out. Can, like Harrison's like extremely awesome. Oh, right? fantastic. Like, you know what I took from that first episode? Yep. McCarty treated him like shit. Oh, they treated like, you, know, you know how they treated like they treated him like we treated Chris. Cause, but but we never had an Eric but, Clapton can replace but Chris. George, well to be fair. But George see. Harrison is not Chris. Like when Chris talked, we'd just go, uh-huh. Yep. And that's what McCartney did. McCartney would sit there and play, and Harrison's trying to well, talk to him. He'd just be I, like, I don't want to but, yep, so, uh-huh. so this is what I find interesting though. So my yes. takeaway from that first episode is like McCartney's sad. There's just like sad. a real sadness. But, he's also a, but it was also just like he's under a lot of pressure. So he strikes me as the quasi lead Gary in our feature of today. He strikes me as a Gary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Val- the, he strikes me as a Gary Valentine. Because when the art dealer comes in the third episode, he's like so and so the art dealer in the middle of a song. It's like why do you why do you have an art dealer coming to see you? Paul McCartney strikes me as really immature, but like. He's not like, oh, so knowing I think it's what to do. I word. It's he's insecure. Yeah, you know, no, yes, I'd agree. Yes, yes. But but immaturity and insecurity are hand in hand. Sure, sure. Um, and so that's what I find interesting. Like I am not like, but like it's this movie doesn't care, and that's what I love about it. Just like it just is so raw. But and is, Jackson does this so well. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, fantastic. Jackson not, is such a listen, fucking good documentary director. I'm not gonna put him in my director of the year. I'm not gonna do it. Spoiler alert, Peter Jackson not going But I listened to the Mark Maron. Did you listen to the WTF yeah. with Peter Jackson? The way that he made this movie with his... I forget who the, his collaborator's name is. It's not Fran Walsh. It's some other guy who collaborated with him. They just listened to and watched the footage separately a bunch of times. You've seen They Shall Not Grow Old, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Fantastic. so fucking good well, so at that's this. Where the, that's where the Beatles started with this, is that they... He did We Shall Not Grow Old. And he was working on We Shall Not mm-hmm. Grow Old. And they contacted they him as um, they wanted to do this kind of... What he did with They Shall Not Grow Old. They, the Beatles, with World War One, yeah. They, the Beatles wanted to kind of do with the Beatles. They wanted to kind of create this kind of Beatles VR type of... Was it originally going to be experience. VR? No, no. It, this had nothing to do with that. Okay. They just they were just like wanted to talk to him about like how he did that, how he might use that technology to enhance the Beatles thing. This is what we're thinking about, blah blah blah. They asked him Oh, like just, enhancing like enhancing the footage. Oh, like, not even this footage, just like Beatles stuff. How would you take what you did with They Will Shut Up Rolled and apply it to not the get back stuff, the earlier. footage, but just Beatles. Just things. in general, yeah. And they just kind of 
passing in passing. Oh, by him, the way, <laughs> what would you if you you know could do anything? What would you do? And he's like, oh, I've always been interested in this get back footage, like uh, you know if it exists, blah, blah blah. And they were just like, oh, it does exist. Here's a drive with the footage. I mean, and he shit his pants. And he fucking he nailed it. Like but, it's but it's the, and that's, so and that's like, good. Everyone thought it was going to be a couple of hours. It was going to be a film thing. But they'd already done the film thing. And he's just like, it's you need what you need in this movie is fifty version fifty times through. Don't let me down. You need it's you tough. Need but it, it's true. It's boring as shit. It but is it's boring so for a while. But also fucking and, good. But it also kind of informs. Is it your is this your favorite of the three? What? Uh, get oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. oh, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like, but it does. Okay. What you need in this movie is you, and, and this is, and this is to your point though, where in where you're saying that like Peter Jackson doesn't give a shit if you like the Beatles because he just assumes that you love the Beatles. Because if so, you're watching a not fucking really, because no, because if you're he watching, puts their names the, on the no, screen. So think, oh, that's cool. But he literally he, presents you three episodes that are each almost three hours long. Nobody's gonna watch that. He shows you. He shows you the fact that they cannot nail she came in through the bathroom window. They show you how that's just so slow and stupid. Like for the longest time, but they fucking nailed the shit out of Maxwell Silverhammer. You know what's you know what's so no. in Abbey Road they recorded after this under completely different mm-hmm. circumstances under more professional, completely different circumstances. Yeah. That he's putting that stuff in there because he's like if you don't like the Beatles, you don't know why this matters. If you do love the Beatles, you, you know absolutely why the fact that they're failing oh, at this is you No, know, but even as somebody who doesn't love the Beatles, who doesn't like the Beatles, like their stuff or whatever, the thing I love about it is like cutting off the knees beneath them and being like they're fucking people. They're just And that's people. that's what yeah. I love about like George River. Harris that's what I love about like that's what I love about like Candace. That's what I love about like Candace Millard's right, like River of Doubt. That's what I love yeah. about um the president is a sick man. I'm just like pontificating upon Candace Millard's but like presenting <laughs> these larger than history figures, mythical figures, yeah, yep. mythical figures. And Grover Cleveland's not necessarily a mythical figure, but like presenting this as like a man who has like fucking jaw cancer, and that's probably why he ordered the Pullman Strike Massacre. Mm. You know, like just presenting you with like these raw facts and just laying it out there. That's what fucking like documentaries need to be, and like. And and Peter and like with Deshaun Akrold, like he delivered it. Like we forget how awful World War One was until oh, yeah. Deshaun Akrold happens, and yeah. you look at that and go like, "Holy fucking shit, yeah. that was awful!" Like that makes well, the World, combination like of, World War Two looks like no, no, but no World War One, no, 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 no. But I, to be I, fair, I, but not, World War One is. You think it's just like a that's that's that step in a minefield of no i think it's, i think it's i think it's fair to say is no it's fair to say that world war 1 is often looked at as like a less awful war than it's world war 2 war. but it's at least presenting it as like equally gross and bad and everything and like peter jackson does this in spades of just like these are people this is a real life thing. Well, he brings you down to the ground level, and he does this again. And here's get what back. I would say, and I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you. Here's From what a, say. a, a natural that, standpoint, here's what I would say is that World War One is different than World War Two in the sense that World War One's atro- atrocities were by choice. Everyone involved in World War One, from a country standpoint, made a decision to, fu- Enter to that fight world. World War One in this way. 
and it was a, a fucking disaster for oh, the but, universe. Oh, I, I missed. I may be misstating it. I'm just trying to say like the grossness and the gr- the griminess of it is presented in the same way, and like just in the necessarily. Because, all I'm just trying to say is like in the fact of like. Paul, Ringo, right. John, and George look like mythical creatures to like the history of music, and like he presents them as just people, right? Insecure Ringo falls people. asleep in the middle of recording on day three, on the in the third. Can't movie. believe him. What were you saying? Which is also great because yeah. Ringo's awesome. It just struck me, you know, one of the things, like, you know, and I didn't go back and watch the original um, Let It Be movie, mm-hmm. but you know, like like Peter Jackson said in that. Marin interview is like, yeah, Yoko and it wasn't a problem. She didn't do anything. She was and, and she Linda was, McCartney was there just as much as she was, just not sitting exactly by his side. And uh and actually they I love the stuff where they're showing him jamming with Yoko. Oh, where she's great. just and then well, when, when the Heather sits in. They're yeah. doing a have you heard this Yoko Ono uh tribute thing? No, yeah, created by Ben Gibbon. Yeah. With um so I, I showed you that song with yeah, yeah. it's not bad, it's, it's David Byrne and um Fine, yeah. David Byrne and Yellow Tango. Yeah. It's not a bad song. No, I think, and that's uh, my problem has always been like I really found Yoko Ono's music, cause, and which we'll see when we talk about our top five. And not that any of it sounds like Yoko Ono, but it's also it's not. Some of it veers away, it veers away from song things. Um, the avant garde. She she really brought out something very. She did not interrupt the proceedings at all. No, John Lennon was still John Lennon. Was probably more John Lennon. Than he's ever been because there was cameras on and stuff like that. But when it was time to work, he worked. He yeah. let Paul McCartney do yeah. that fucking horrible yeah. news reading thing in, in the second episode of it. That was I fun, though. I, you know, we've done, so, because, Andrew's done similar shit. Like that. Really quickly, I've only seen the first episode. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't ruin okay. Linda McCarthy for me, right? Like, she stays awesome. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she's great because like, she's... Because this first episode for me just made me fucking fall in love, love. Well, yes. with Linda McCarthy. Me too, you know why? I never... Th- I was like, why she's did Paul McCartney... So I didn't find her fucking... attraction, but yeah. she's pretty attractive. My whole no, thing... no, I didn't mean no, attractive, but, also but as a she's person. Like, yeah. She just like... When he says like, oh, bro, I'm going to go to a farm. This is my English accent. I'm allowed yeah. to because I'm a white guy. But then she says like, yeah, I'd like to go to a farm. My I'm like, oh, Linda Eastwood's awesome. The Linda McCartney stuff is that like when... You, we get when you grow up with the Beatles. Your first really you you are aware when you're you know when you're studying the mythology or when you're being given the mythology. Linda Eastman comes in. And Eastman, sorry. she's a thing, um, and then she's in Wings, and Wings is much less good than the Beatles or. The first couple of Paul McCartney unless, songs. Unless you grew up with And people like to point to her off-key vocals. Absolutely. And, and yeah. her just kind of like pseudo-keyboard playing yeah. and stuff like that. The best... So one of the things... So spoiler alert again for like our moments of the year. One of my moments of the year is when when I walked in, you were watching the episode one when Paul is running through with George the chords for Let It Be. Yep. And Ringo and John are kind of invested in like the set design with mm. uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg on like their stupid shit, um, which I think is Joanna Hogg's dad. Really? I think so. I have to, you can do the research on it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, but I could be wrong. Um, and Linda's taking the pictures. And then it stops. It shows a picture. Mm-hmm. Of the thing that she, so we're seeing something, we're seeing her seeing something, and then she's taking a picture of her seeing something. 
and for some reason that made this whole thing like come alive for me like because it seems so not and we can end this soon it seems so not real that we have this documentary it's bizarre that you are just sitting in a studio with the Beatles making stuff. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, not even like yeah, everyone, so much of that should not be. No, everyone points to the get public back viewing. Like yeah. you just invented get back like on camera. We get to watch it. Yes. Make get back. But that seems like mystical to me. For some reason, Linda McCartney, Linda Eastman at the time, documenting this it is, thing. It is, it is not no no relation. Okay. No. I thought it was, but I, I thought... I no thought her, no, no been relation so cool. to Dennis Heaton Hyde. <laughs> I thought her parents were filmmakers, but I, I, uh, that doesn't matter. We don't need to go into it. Um, it. It's... For some reason, the documentation within the documentation makes it more concrete. Mm-hmm. And, like, just... It made it so like this. I was like, this is real. These, This is a real thing that's happened. I have, a- I have access to just something incredible. I have access to, like, and this is, I'm sorry, Mario, to go to third episode stuff, to, like, early something where it just sounds like the stupidest song of all time. Right, right, right. Um, you know, I have access to early Octopus's Garden where, like, Ringo's playing Octopus's Garden yeah, here's for a nobody. Song for Ringo, yeah. And George, no, Ringo, like, wrote it and George is playing, like, helping him through it. Yeah. And then John comes in and this is where you're wrong about the Paul McCartney stuff, Mario. John comes in and he's like, I'll play drums on this. And then Paul comes in and they stop playing it. Is that in the first episode? That's in the third episode. Well, I haven't got to it yet. No, 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 I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> that's where, like, it's... That's I've the, only watched the first episode of Listeners. That is so fascinating. So Ringo probably has more of a reason to leave. But Ringo also did leave. Or like, not... Like, he left... When did he leave? During Sgt. Pepper's, he left? Or during Earlier. the White Album, I think. Earlier, yeah. They, during those... Yeah, during, White Album. Because, yeah, he was just Because like, they were doing drums on their own track. Exactly. They were doing their own stuff. They had, like, three like, separate... Like, we love you. Right? Come back. You're the only Beatles drummer. But, so then... But, like, so Ringo is just kind of like... It's a paycheck, what you, whatever. I'll just come and play your drums, like. But that's because of all that expect that stuff that's surrounding it. It's just when Paul and George are having that conversation where there's no video footage of about like how like or, or Paul and John are having a conversation about George leaving. There's no video footage of. Yeah. Did you, you got to that part right? Yeah. Um, there's no mention of like Ringo at all. It's like literally just the two of them and then this other guy who does a thing that they do need. They need him. Let's well, get Eric but they, do they? But what do they need? Exactly. They don't need the song. They don't need, they need the. Clap. They need the chops. Right. Um, they need the solo. They need the solos. They need those interverse licks and stuff like that. Right. They don't need something. They don't need all things must pass. They don't need old brown shoe. Um, that's it's. That's the biggest takeaway from this for me. For me, is that they they just felt like George was disposable. Right. They're yeah. like it's you and me, and, and he felt that. Oh, he felt it big time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anything else? No, not no. All. all right. So I don't have a good transition, but we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about our Paul Thomas Anderson's licorice pizza. Everybody, get down on your face, man. Get ready, yeah. Walk in. Hey, put your hands up. Oh, I don't need that. Really awesome. 
might have been your number one most anticipated movie of 2021. It was originally called Soggy Bottoms at that point. It still it still brings up that, the Soggy yeah, Bottoms. Absolutely. Um, licorice Pizza. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand. Yeah, like sands, like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand. No, but Streisand. Sand. But the film is a sad thing for This is fate that brought us together But she's lived it ten times or more Our roads took us here She could spit in the eyes of fools You're not my director They ask her to focus on Do you really want to see my boobs? Can I touch them? See tomorrow It's weird to hang out with Gary and his friends all the time. <laughs> I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15 year old friends all the time. I'm not gonna forget you. Just like you're not gonna forget me. Cross. Gary Valentine is a child actor, entrepreneur. He's getting his picture taken at a school. We we knew him as Life Touch. Did Life Touch? Right. Life yep, Touch in Nevada. Yep. Life Touch. What'd you have? Uh, Nevada's not a thing, but Nevada, I don't remember. But it wasn't Life Touch. <laughs> I just want you to know that, like, for some reason, like Nevada comes up. Nevada. Nevada. Yeah. Nevada comes up like in my house sometimes, and like my kids will say Nevada, and I was like, "My, I would hate you right now." <laughs> say that. Um, he's getting his picture taken, and he sees a woman, Alana, Alana and uh, she's asking if he needs a mirror and a comb, and he says, "Well, we'll take one because he's a hustler." He walks with her in line and takes his picture, shows little teeth like a tiger. Uh, it's great. Um, and she doesn't agree to meet him for a date, but later that night, uh, what is it, the name of the place? Tail, Tail of the Cock? Tail of the Cock. Oh, the Cock. Tail, yeah, Tail of the Cock. Uh, she shows up, and a, uh, friendship of, of some kind or another is sparked. And Alana, uh, assists. A heated friendship. Something. Some, yeah. some, some, something. Some juice. Um, some juice. That is... <laughs> that's... For, for the rest of time, Pivotal Film will say, some juice. <laughs> we were talking about, like, some... If, if there's sex... Like, Portrait of Lady on Fire. Remember when the, they met? Juice. and There was some, there was some juice. Some juice. I like it. I don't want to talk about this, but I, just, I do want to say, because I didn't say it last week. 
The problem with Benedetta is that it doesn't have the <laughs> balls to do what Portrait of Lady on Fire did with the armpit scene. To mm-hmm. drop us in on the armpit and be like, what is this? And then there's not even a, there's not even some sound design no. with the. Uh... I mean, there's a million problems with Benedetta, but like the one yeah. is that it's not as committed. It's not committed to the relationship. But Benedetta was almost on both my worst and like best of the year list. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. If Benedetta shows up in your top ten, I'm. I mean, this part... <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. In the least. Okay. <laughs> no, I meant like bottom ten and like top ten moments. Oh, okay. Like um, there's a moment. Oh that yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Um, so, uh, Gary, uh, is still trying to make it as an actor, although he's getting old and big and is awkward looking and has pimples. Um, but he's found, finding his, uh, most success as an entrepreneur. He opens a, uh, waterbed store because he, uh, finds a waterbed from Leonardo DiCaprio's dad. Uh, um, who is a terrible actor. But, like, kind of fun. But I love, but I, this is why you gotta see, so you had texted me about like seeing movies in theaters, and one of the reasons that like seeing movies in theaters is so good is because you get to focus on Leonardo DiCaprio's dad just flexing his hands like nervously while he's trying to deliver lines. Really? That's not why I was, was, as a, that's not why I was like looking at that scene. Oh yeah, but. No, I think this will be something important to go into. Okay, cool. Well, but uh, that's not why I was looking at it either. But like, it's awesome to kind of be able to get that stuff. Yeah, yeah. really big. You know, what is his name? Mike DiCaprio. Uh, George. George DiCaprio, DiCaprio just like flexing Mr. his hands Jack. nervously. Um, Alana helps him, uh, but and Gary convinces Alana to be an actress. Um, Say yes to everything. Which is, uh, I mean, this. I almost don't want to give away my feelings about this movie too quickly, but this movie is just full of amazing scenes, and that scene is fucking amazing. Which one? Um, when the, she goes the to uh, casting agent. The casting agent. Oh yeah. What's her name? Um, oh, uh, Harriet Sampson Harris, or Harriet Sampson? Yeah, Harriet Sampson. Uh, Mary Grady. Yeah. She's the best. BB Glazer from Frasier. People like him. Oh, track. okay. I didn't know that. Well, and she was in the master. Um, she was in Phantom Thread as well. She was the. Yes. She okay. was the woman that they made the dress for that they um, oh, pulled the dress off that Vicky Krebs got mad. Right, right, right. She's for some reason found her way into Paul Thomas Anderson's inner circle of actors, his new inner circle, good, which is good. just fascinating. Um, I John love C. Re- new... John C. Reilly stays in there. I love it. It's so great. How is Luis Guzman not finding roles in these movies? I don't know. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, sh- there's a great scene with Sean Penn and Tom Waits that we'll talk about. The plot of this movie means nothing. Gary's a hustler. Alana is insecure uh, and needs um, validation, both of her looks and her abilities as as um, an adult. Um, I'm going to stop there. Should I start? No, no, no. I feel like we've started, but because there's movies... But should I start with my opinions? Should we defer to the guest? You're making a face, so I feel like we should go first. I don't like this. Why? It doesn't work. Um, at all. For me. Uh, it is a... Oh my god. I love, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, we've talked about this, but it's, it's a lot of disjointed scenes. Blended together. For a theme that works, 
Like, it's hard, it's hard to say. So this this movie doesn't work for me in the sense. What's the theme? So thematically, well, what do you think the theme is? so thematically for me, it seems like this kind of like adolescent idolation of both becoming an adult, but also both like remembering what it was to be a child, or not remember it was to be a child, but remembering like the innocence of, of from life. PTA's perspective. Yes. Um, so we get Cooper Hoffman's Gary Valentine trying to be older than he is. We get Alana Kane trying to both like find out her place in life, but also like realizing necessarily that like adult life isn't what it means. Um, and that thematically, like thematically, this entire movie works for me, but it's so disjointed. I feel like I'm jumping from scene to scene. From scenario to scenario, I don't feel as though there is a um, compass of narrative direction. Like, I jump from... <sighs> there's there's this real weird, fantastic reality thing going on early on in the film. Where we get... Um, like, from the, the sequence where we get Gary Valentine getting dragged away by police for murder... After mm-hmm. that, to like where we jump to uh, Sean Penn's William Holden, Jack Holden. <laughs> it's fantastic, which is it's great. Like, all these sequences are fucking awesome, As but they're sequences separated from a narrative. And that's what I don't like about this movie, is this movie is just so fragmented. Because, like, we're coming off of Phantom Thread, which is <laughs> the perfect movie. Mm. Near perfect movie. See, I it's funny because I have the kind of the same. I I want to be able to hold this mic and open this beer simultaneously. Oh, Mario's gonna help me out. Well, because you're gonna get. I'll mad at be me soon. there for you. What are you gonna get mad at me soon? Because I hate this movie. So I hate this movie so much. This I'm, movie I'm almost push. popped up in my bottom I'm of the push year. Back. Not, I'm 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 ready. Not I'm ready. on the quality of the movie. Because I don't really care what you think about the movie. Well, I think the quality of movies, I think it's great. You but... did this earlier in the podcast. Not this episode. In the history of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, in this, in this particular... Do you, do you remember um, the Tessa Thompson with Keith Stanfield? Uh, We're talking about Sorry to Bother You? Sorry to Bother You. Do yeah. you remember that? Yeah. Do you that review? Yeah. Do you remember the first... So that was like our second episode. That was my second episode when I had not reviewed thousands of movies. But I'm saying you hated Sorry Oh no. So Ab- I'm like frustrated. No, no, okay, no, Sorry I don't abjectly hate this. I'm extremely frustrated by this movie. I think it's a really well made, well crafted movie with really well made sequences that just do not combine to do anything for me. See, in- and it makes me mad. Because I know that but, Paul Thomas Anderson's a good enough director, and I know this movie's there, and there's so many things working. To the point but where it you does not work. It? To the point where you hate it. To the point where it almost shows up on your top ten. Because I'm frust- I'm frust- Because I'm frustrated by it. But I just. But want I, to, I but, want to like. I want to settle. Yeah. I want to settle the percolation down. I want to turn off the heat and the boil by frustration. Because it's frustration. So like the reason why, for example. Um, like Spencer, like Spencer's a much worse movie, and like it did not. It populates probably my like this 
populates my bottom 30, I would say, right now. The thing that frustrates me about this is, like, there's so much talent behind this. There's a fucking amazing first performance in this. Alana Haim ruins this movie with how good she is. Cooper Hoffman also, like, does really good work. But it's so fucking schizophrenic. I don't want to use that word. It's so fucking, like... Mentally ill. You know what I mean, but it's so it's so disjointed by yeah. what it's doing, and I cannot connect with it in any way. Not. There's there's so many things that don't work for me in this that it frustrates me because there's a really interesting movie here, a really interesting kind of like middling mm. in terms of thematic movie here that just doesn't happen. I disagree. Go. So it's interesting because. Uh, I would say all the individual scenes work for me, but I don't know where to place this in his canon. Because it's like, in a way, I want to say it's slight for him, but it's also, it's so fun. I I know what you mean. Like, I know what you mean. Like, Like, aside from the movies about Alana, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's about I, both of them. It's about what it means. I think, but more about Alana because you know. I think it's about what it means to be an adult. I hope it's more about Alana because uh, Gary is not has fully fleshed out of his character. Well, as there's Alana an interesting. So I will say that this movie's one flaw. And this is attached to what you were going to say, so you can go right after this. Is that um, Gary? There's Alana never disappears, even when she's not on screen. She's around oh you can feel her right there's a couple of scenes in this movie where gary's not a person and then and even in like major scenes like again spoiler alert for people that are keeping track of this shit in my moments the whole john peters sequence is going in it's going in the moments and yet but the cascading down that hill backwards regardless of that's fantastic. Of, regardless of what like Paul Thomas Anderson wants, like how he ends that with like you know Gary shouting and all this other shit, I forget that Gary is a part of this. No, right. she's. Oh yeah. You know what no, I, mean? I, I, I. So I'm gonna say this. Like she's fucking. She may well very win my. She's fantastic. Actress. She's one of the best but, performances I've seen. But, but his reaction is great. He's like, how did his, we survive? But his reaction is also very secondary to what just happened. Sure. To what yeah, just yeah. happened, even breaking the car window, um, you know, John P. So that's the thing. I think the problem with this movie, and this is a thing that I kind of talked about with the Coen brothers a little bit when we talked about uh, um, No Strokes. Country for Old oh. Men, which is that like I, I'm, I think that the Coen brothers didn't know what they had when they cast Javier Bardem as um, Anton Chigurh. Mm-hmm. Is that they thought they were making one movie, and then Anton, and then Javier Bardem comes in to play Anton Chigurh, and he's just like, oh, it's actually this movie. And they're just like, well, we're going to keep making this movie, and then you're just in it. And I think something similar happens here. Where Paul I don't think so. I think he does know what he's doing, and he still sticks to his guns. You think so? Yeah, I think he knows the, the charisma and the vibrancy he has here. But I think it's, I think it's the exact same thing. There's a bit of an argument that like he f- saw what he had with her, and he actually might have modified his... This is why movie in so his say, screenplay so and this everything. This is his ninth film, right? Ninth film. If Heart Eight is number nine, this is my number nine. 
That's weird. But this is, this is worse than yeah. If hard, but let's not say worse. It's it's his number nine. I mean, it's 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 a good. It's a really good. Like, it's a good. This is why I say like it's hard for me to review because I think it's a good movie. But like, technically, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's really tec- it's 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 so good. So this but is, it's so frustrating. So yeah. It could so be so much be, better. So what I would say is that heartache is my number nine, and we we all did the inherent yeah. vice heartache conversation. Heartache's my number nine. Inherent vice is my number eight. This is my number seven. Yeah, but I still think it's more. I think it's more cohesive than Inherent Vice. I enjoyed it way more than Inherent Vice. I mean, that's fair, but like this is. No, no, I think it's a, Inherent Vice is so fun. But yeah, I think this, I think Inherent Vice is no fun. I think this is tons of. Fun. I mean, I can't. I can't. I can't argue. With, but I, I. No, no. Does this? No, I'm not arguing with that. Oh, but I'm just saying, arguing. like. No, I'm just saying, like I had no fun with this. This was you really so. You had no fun. I had messy. a lot of fun with it, but I was just like. I had so much. This fun. is this feels I so. I prom- this except, is like except yeah. for it's like, reminiscing. I just, just want to watch Alana Haim, Alana Kane doing stuff, Here, and gonna, then like I want to interrupt you, and I it want keeps you, getting interrupted wanna, by stuff. I want to interrupt you, and I want you to reframe that comment, not yeah. because like you made a wrong comment. But just because I want it to be like... No, no, I understand, I understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. How... Let's say we can't rewrite... We can't remake the movie. <laughs> let's say we're not rewriting the movie yes. to have Alana Haim be like... Doing something else. Alana, Alana Haim, I guess, is the featured performer. And to your point, like what you said, like that he kind we of... All, we all agree this. Alana Haim's fucking she's awesome. Fantastic. This, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's Especially, I mean, uh, the first like... 20 minutes of the movie she doesn't stop smiling but like behind the smile is this deep yeah. existential I, sadness of yeah. just like where am I going what am I doing like what the fuck is the point of anything I'm sorry but if you so like not reframe not remaking the movie how what is it about the movie that exists in regards to everything around Alana Haim that's kind of like a failure? Pushing back at you. Or that's making it less fun than Inherent Vice. Oh, no. So so what works for me is the fact that, like, I think uh, the back and forth between Alana Haim and uh, Skylar Gazindo. Oh, it's fantastic. But I love like, Skylar Gazindo. I do, too. Uh, like, I'm a big Santa Clarita diet oh, yeah. fan. But, like, yeah. those two nail it. And like the scene where he's, she's just like, "What's your penis look like?" Like when it comes, <laughs> I'm just like, "That's juice. so fucking awesome." Yep. And it's dwindling returns after that. So like we get continual scenes of Alana Haim with somebody else. Like, nah, I. That, that's we're my going, thing. We're going so that's next. That's my thing. Is like, is like everything. There's a, an electricity in so, Phantom Thread is electricity. For two hours and ten minutes, it's just yes. Daniel the Day Lewis movie is that it's two hours and twenty minutes long. You know what I mean? No, I do know yeah. what I mean exactly. That's but it's what... Vicky Krebs and 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 yeah. and Phil and Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Daniel Day Lewis just beating off each other with electricity for two hours. And okay. let, let, let me finish. No, let me finish. Let me finish. I'm making no mind. And there's a real electricity between Alana Haim. And Cooper Hoffman, who I think is also nails this, but and, and, but then you get like that scene with Skylar Gazindo, and like everything after that, like all her future relationships with Benny Softy, with Sean Penn, and all that have dwindling returns. Yeah. Like there's there's a reduction of stakes, 
requires a reduction of emotion. So and so things kind of, huh. it kind of feels like, you know, antlions? Like the creature, the antlion? No. So an antlion is like basically a creature that creates this like little funnel that ants will fall into and the antlion drags them to eat. What is an antlion? An antlion is just, is I don't know, an it's like an arachnid. It's not like a, a arachnid. spider? Basically like a spider. Like a scorpion? And so, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm trying to make a fucking good point here. But my point with this is just like it feels as though that first scene... Like, where you get Lance, because he's so fucking good. Like, I love the first, like, 40 minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. And everything after that feels so dwindling. <laughs> it, it negates the returns. I just feel so... I end up feeling like I'm watching Kentucky Fried Movie. I wanna, I I'm, wanna, going, so I'm going to be honest. Like, I feel like I was watching Kentucky Fried Movie. I want to go to JP, but how do the stakes feel less raised when, like, there's... Death involved in like the Sean Penn one. Like her need you, nobody, to be liked. Is... There's no, there's no death there. I never believed for a second there's death. It just, it Not just death. But like you know, like she's gonna jump over like impromptu motors because because it's so fucking forced. It's like so it, it comes out of nowhere. Like the Lance situation feels authentic. Mm. Like, we see Alana and Gary joining together. And, like, I can believe that sequence. And I can believe that Lance, who we can assume is, like, 23 or 24 at this time. I, I assume, I thought he was 21. But whatever. He's it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't fucking matter. It's just, like, he's, he's an adult. But there's, there's a real actual stake there that's played into it. But then when it gets to that, it just, it, it becomes, like, this, I ended up... Like, literally looking at this movie near its end going, like, am I watching, like, a, a boy's fantasy? Like, it has, yes. not a boy's fantasy, but it has, like, it does have a fantasy perspective. And I'm like, mm. I don't give a shit. Yeah, but the point is, to me, the whole point of this movie boils down to when um, Benny Safdie's mayor's character tells his boyfriend to walk her home. Yep. And Which is a scene, great fucking sequence. When he goes, they're all shit, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, like that that's it because for her uh, the person i saw this movie with said that scene with the truck going backwards down the hill or the whole um john peter john peter scene was cool but like did it need to even exist in this movie like it needed to exist because at the end of it she's looking at her teenage friends jerking off with a gas pump and then she real death and then she looks at John Peters smashing a window front in and trying to pick up other girls, realizing I'm nothing to him. He just wanted to fuck me. Sure. And so she realizes all men are garbage. What do you think of Peter Burr's sandwiches? And did, so did you know that, uh, did you know that um, I listened to the Simmons podcast with P.T. Anderson? I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. Okay, so... He got John Peters' sign off. He said, "Hey, I'm gonna use your name in this movie. Um, you know, here's here's the script." And he goes, well, "Just give me my scenes. I'm not gonna read the whole fucking script." Uh-huh. He goes, "So he reads it. He goes, well, he's like, there's one problem with this. He's like, I wouldn't have yelled at all of them. He's like, I wouldn't have yelled at her. I would have tried to bang her." And Paul Thomas Harris is like, 
Oh. <laughs> I got something here. Ah, that's better. <laughs> and then he goes, and could, could, you, could you get my pickup line in there somewhere? And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. What's that? He's like, do you like peanut butter sandwiches? Oh. Like they would always react. He said they would always laugh. They would always answer. And I was oh, in. That's so good. Well, I fully admit this is my favorite Bradley Cooper performance. Woo. <laughs> it's amazing. But it's just, it's so fucking disjointed. I see. I think it's less disjointed than Phantom Thread. I think I thought Phantom Thread was disjointed. You didn't say this. I 100% <laughs> did. Phantom Thread is super episodic. But the episodes are like very small and like compartmentalized. But I love Phantom Thread because I love the mood and the atmosphere that he creates in his film. But I remember when we did the Phantom Thread episode, I, I thought it was very revealing that the Johnny Greenwood record of the Phantom Thread score is sequenced totally different than yeah, the yeah. Phantom Thread movie. Because I think the Phantom Thread movie really relied on the score to tell the story of the emotional story of these characters. Because he was telling it so episodically. I think there's a direct relation, and this is just me overthinking stuff. Um, there's a direct relation to the Daniel Day Lewis driving the car with like the convertible top from the back mm-hmm. scenes in Phantom Thread to Sean Penn driving from the front with a cigar- cigarette in his mouth, smiling his fucking ass off <laughs> with Alana Ham in the passenger seat. Those two things are like mirrors of each other. It's like we're seeing like the opposite side of it. And I, when I was watching this movie, it thrilled me to see the Sean Penn face versus the behind the back shot of Daniel Day Lewis. It almost seemed like he was taking the. Ooh. It was almost seemed like he was taking the gloves off of his. This is the yeah, interesting go. thought. Yeah, new Hollywood versus classical Hollywood. In which one's New Hollywood? So New Hollywood's your thing. Like New like now? No, New, new Hollywood in the sense of like post easy writer okay. stuff yeah. of like presenting people as yeah. they're authentically are versus like behind old Hollywood, I'm a sure. noir guy. Is that what's happening? Well here? I think between There Will Be Blood the Man. Because I think there's like a weird like separation between our, I, I really thought you did not like this movie. I loved it. But like that's the thing, I don't it's if, again. If anyone's paying attention to this movie, they know what my number one movie is. So it doesn't make any difference. I went to this movie. I saw it. In, it like we talked about it before. I drove to Middletown. Um, I listened to in on a loop. My I've been listening on a couple of, uh, for a couple of days. My on a loop. My top five records that we're going to talk about. We drew top five records just to confirm like their placement on the list because it was fairly obvious to me what was going to be on my list. Mm. Drove to Middletown listening to uh, one of those records. Um, there was one other person, and because of the way that the Middletown Theater is set up, like the seats, they have new seats, but they are very flimsy, so they sit far back. I sat in the third row because the screen's really high up and is not very big. So I got this just amazing experience. I laughed out loud so much in this movie. I also I had an anxiety intact during this movie, by the way. I don't maybe it might be a new movie thing. I I was gonna say maybe you need to talk to somebody (laughs) about the movies. Um, Excuse me, I broke. Um, I had a great fucking time in this movie. Um, I loved every second of it. The the let me roll it like needle drop was fucking perfect. It was what's let me roll it. So it was after the after the. Um, That's Jack not when Holden. they're singing the 
the waterbed, right? It's it's so yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, right. that scene that scene's like when they're singing, like he kind of like hovers her hands. Her hand. Right. Yeah. 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 No, like, that scene's great. But the whole thing. But that music, like, so I had never heard that song before, and I mean, this is Dude, well, from like a needle drop standpoint, like, like but the fact that, like, soundtrack standpoint, it's like, an he great. knows. But it's, what oh, he knows doing. his shit. It's, a, it's an all time great, but it's also it's also a singular guitar riff because it's also it's so and this is so let's attach it to get back it's an, it's reminiscent of an old blues riff because the song functions as a blues mm-hmm. it's just three chords right the song functions as a blues the riff is two strings but it's just played the two strings on the same fret like on the bass line is two notes so it's so it's it's not it's an imprecise riff you know what i mean it's right. not like a careful riff it's just, and it's very, it's like, let me roll it, their let me roll it riff is like a classic um, mid-70s guitar riff because it's just so raw for McCartney, you know what I mean? It's got a great melody behind it. Um, and you texted me like, let, this is the way that I want to hear let me roll it. No, but. And I was like waiting for it and I was like, and then it comes, it's like, and I was like, oh my, it's like fucking hit but not in a way like an emotional way, although I did feel like an emotion. It was just fucking cool. It was just good. It was just good. And and but the sp- like whatever they did with the sound mixing, the spacing between the guitar riff and... and... But then to that point, like when they hear um, Life on Mars, Life on Mars as it's a okay. reaction... It's better in the trailer See, than in the movie. I think the Life on Mars is a reaction to like the gas sor- shortage with ending on like yeah. out of gas rent a bike is fucking great. great but it's also not so i think it's not heavy he made a movie that's like punch drunk love no, i laughed when i saw that sign it's and he used like a lot of punch drunk love cinematography techniques in the way that he splices light in the way that light just kind of like explodes all over it's, the screen it's, that's not that's not my problem with this movie no no but i'm saying it's it's he made it's a, it's so it's just loose it's loose, but it, it doesn't have oh, the key. Yeah, everyone doesn't have the phantom thread tightness. The illusion of tightness that phantom thread has. With oh Daniel come Lewis. on! Are you saying? Are you saying phantom thread has an illusion of tightness versus this? Oh There's... yeah, because phantom thread I don't think is actually tight. I think he just alludes to its tightness. How? Because, well, it appears tight. Because he mentions the mom a bunch of times in, or like early in the movie, and it isn't until like late in the movie that we get like a reappearance of okay. the mother like right, figure right, right, in the whole thing. Right. Okay. Um, the idea that Vicky Kreps is capable in any way of poisoning him. Like that's No, I think that's I think that's very much carried through throughout the it's, thread of the movie. But she's by her character. No, no but that's the thing, but it's not but it's carried through in hindsight, in like analyzing, no, absolutely it, not. How? But where is it? Where is the poisoning? No, no. It's just it's presented by the fact <laughs> there is a real control in that character. The control in that character comes through like when they're reading back the menu items, like when um, I want to say Daniel Playview. It's not Daniel Playview. It's um, yeah. There you go. Reynolds Woodcock. Thank you. That's why we but like, there's there is. There is there is a definite back and forth in that sequence sure. that establishes a control from her. Oh, it's not about control. It's about 
But it's a control of narrative of that, uh, that I don't find here. No, I'm not. And I, I guess that's here's what I'm saying. Here's I guess this is where I want I want to end up here is I'm not like making I don't want to. You see, it seems like you're seeing, saying that I'm making you feel something. No, no, no. If I'm if I'm putting these in order, I'm putting this in Phantom Thread. I'm putting this a little, like, very slightly ahead of Phantom Thread. If I'm ranking these on a scale, whatever number Phantom Thread gets, this gets one digit higher. I Phantom thought you had. This, I mean, Phantom Thread's my I you number had this one. Seventh behind. Uh, well, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna inherent vice and heart. I mean, I'm gonna I, flip it only because I think I definitely fucked up by saying heart eight is better. Like heart eight's the worst of his movies. But it's not this like is, the worst is like a, a the worst is just like a very low tier. Right. What I want to say is that I had more fun with this movie. I think this movie, for what he set out to do from the opening moments of this movie, is a little more, like slightly more successful than Phantom Thread. Yeah, you pointed that out. That's good. Um, it's slightly more successful than slightly more successful than Phantom Thread because it doesn't have the weird ending problems that Phantom Thread has, where all of a sudden Reynolds is good with being poisoned for the sake. It of was. It was coming. It was coming. I no, but my I, phone I, just I, my phone just died. Everybody. Yep. But I feel I feel Therefore that the fact died. that he was, he was <laughs> no, but I feel. I feel as though him being happy with that was coming. You know, and everything with this movie, like this is my problem with this movie. My problem with this movie is that like Paul Thomas Anderson has such a control of his narrative, and this movie doesn't show that versus like what's happening on screen. Like, but do you think this movie wants to? to do you think this I movie don't care. Is- I literally don't give a shit because it just mm. doesn't work for me. Mm. It doesn't work for me at all. It's got really good performances. It's got really good whatever, but it just is just like a. It, it ultimately ends up. I'm watching this movie going like it's just a 57 year old so man say thematic- doing stuff. So it's so that's interesting thematically. This from because you mentioned this before from like a man uh, like a an adolescent male's fantasy. This movie as a as as a start if that's what the starting place for this movie is for you this movie doesn't. You don't want that movie. No, it's. A, I, I don't think it's. It's fulfilling a fantasy. I just think it's kind of <sighs> undercooked. If that makes sense. I. But I get that. I. I totally get that sentiment because. I'm like, why does this movie need to exist? But. Well, I looked. I looked at it the entire time, going like, "What am I watching? Like, I'm watching Alana Haim." I enjoyed the every and fucking I'm watching second Cooper, of it. I'm watching I'm... Cooper Hoffman also destroy the screen. Like a lot of people are, I think, are undercrediting Cooper Hoffman because he does fantastic. No, he's great. Like the two of these people great, yeah. are just ruining the screen. But I end up like watching this movie going like, what did I watch? Like I don't necessarily know what I'm doing here. No, I love it. I love every minute of it. But at the same time, just like, what is the importance of it? Like. But does it have to be exactly? But it doesn't. But it's there's not plenty of movies that are. But it's not doing any. It's not like it's not making me think any. It's not making me feel anything. It's not like making me remember anything. It's. I I love both characters. I love how you know aggressively, like you know, um, sort of. um, You know, Cooper Hoffman's uh, character is just so you know. 
attempting all of these businesses and all that, mm-hmm. you know. And it's, I, but I also like her care. You know, the the character, her, her character's path, like with you know determining that all these guys are shit. Uh-huh. I lo- I love the moment where where someone says that you know he he tried to get a hand job from her from mm-hmm. them, and she just the look on her <laughs> face. I'm passing the battalion to you. The look on her yeah, face yeah. is like fantastic. Like oh yeah, but, but, that sounds like him. So. His yeah, frisbee. So like, obviously Pete Anderson's trying to say something with like, I'm not assuming the John Michael Higgins scenes. That's fantastic. But I'm assuming yeah. there's something going on there. There's something going on there, but I don't know what he's trying to say. Does it matter? It does to me because like, it feels like there's something trying to because like. I watched Phantom Thread, and I said, like, I don't know necessarily if... Like, when I said with my Phantom Thread review, like, I don't know if these themes mean something, but if they don't, it doesn't matter because these themes mean something to me. Mm-hmm. When I watched this, I'm like, why is this happening? And I ended up watching this movie going, like, a lot of times going, like, why is this happening? And I ended up feeling empty-handed. I mean, I don't want to... I mean, I don't think this... You know, we're running up against it and we're going to make this another incredibly long episode. But I think it's in... Um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a commentary on the on the, uh, the lengths that adults... It's a comment on two things. It's a comment on being an adult and being a, a, a huckster. And like... So John Michael Higgins is clearly... That's his name, right? John yeah. It's a huckster. You know what I mean? He's got a different Japanese wife in, like, you know... His two scenes. It's two scenes, yeah. And they're... <laughs> him speaking Japanese is utterly fantastic. Uh, is it? Also... Oh, it's fa- it's wonderful. Because it's, it's I so, don't... What, what's it doing? It's, so, it's the... Co- the Whoa. big the big picture podcast just covered this. They had a oh, those guys. licorice pizza. Yeah, they I didn't had a, that one yet. Yeah. Uh, it just came out today. Yeah. Licorice pizza episode. <sighs> They're right. Anyone who thinks the joke's not on the white guy who's an idiot oh, is yeah. an idiot. Oh no, it's on the white guy. Yes, it's just like what's it doing there? Dude, what's it doing? Is it? It's, it's back it's, then. It's they fucking people things. were like that. It's commenting on two things. It's commenting on. Um, Gary saying to Alana a little later in the film, like, do it sexier. And it's also commenting on Gary, Gary's, like, um, whole kind of personality, like his, his constantly redeveloped personality, like, I'm going to focus on waterbeds. I'm going to focus on pinball machines. I'm going to focus, I'm going to focus on acting. It's, it's all this kind of, like, this grifter huckster mentality where I will just kind of adopt another personality in order to sell a thing. Yeah. And so this guy's, um, you know, uh, drifting. He's a to, huckster. Yeah. He's a huckster. And he, but he's also like fetishizing the Japanese culture to sell some stuff. But, but, he, but it's, but it's not like that. This movie's not doing the work to say that, but he's not, but I think this movie's, I think the, the thing that, the, and, we can leave it whenever you want to leave it, whatever. Or we have, think, to, we have to pause it soon. The difference between this... I think this movie is not trying to make a comment on anything. So if you asked me... Oh, I don't know why I framed it like that. I like this movie more than I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
and I think they're both doing the same thing. Because I think agree. this movie is not glorifying, or, or is not just glorifying a specific moment in L.A. culture, in L.A. mentality, in L.A. lifestyle. It's saying this is what the lifestyle was for these specific people and it has like a theme attached to it in the sense that like what does it mean to be in a what does it mean to be an adult and it gives you lots of different um images and scenes regarding what it means to be an adult and like what it means to be a success and what it means like how you compose yourself when you are a success but what so it like, means to be like an adult and also battling with like being an adult but also like wanting to reclaim your childhood but i don't think it has anything so so that's i think maybe this is maybe this is the ultimate difference i don't think it has anything to do with being a childhood because gary's not a child and none of those and so the no but like look gary, at alana like alana's like struggling with like the the alana's but alana's I'm the like, roughness of adulthood but she's it, alana is the audience's avatar because alana doesn't know how she feels about anything and so she hangs out with Gary, and she thinks that Gary's a kid because Gary is younger than her. But in a lot of ways, Gary is older than her. Right. No fucking hangs- way. What the fuck? Are you talking- what? Well, he's. I mean. What do you mean? I mean, she. Wait, no, no. Says- hold on a second. Hold on a second. Say your say your piece. No, no, what? I mean, no, no. Don't like, finish that. No, no. I mean, like, what is? What do you mean? That like Gary's older than her house because Gary owns has his Businesses. own business. So she says that to him. Like, no, it doesn't. <sighs> really? That's like what you go with? Like, Gary's always like prescribed as like he has his own thing, he has his own like businesses, but he still has a very amateur perspective of like the world. She, but that's not how she sees it. So he has an amateur. That's not how she sees it, but that's how the world works. But that's not, but you're looking, you're not reading the movie then. So what I'm saying is. I am fucking reading the movie. The difference then. between the, the. No, so it's. The John Peter scene is the key scene because in both instances, he's the guy that sold this waterbed to John Peters. Mm-hmm. He's having the conversation with John Peters. Don't fuck up my house. Mm-hmm. He's the, he's the, he's, she's, if he's mm-hmm. 15 or 16, she's 10 years older. She's than 25, years, yeah. Whatever, older than he is. But he's the one having a conversation with the guy who's mm-hmm. dating mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand. She gets them down the thing. She gets them down the mountain. She's the adult. Gets him down the mountain. She see, but then and you know, and that's confirmed in the fact that she sees them doing the blow jobs with the because because they're children, yeah, because they're children, yeah, yeah. But he still owns his own business. He still like because is, of his circumstances, yeah. But the circumstances are immaterial. it does matter, but not, it absolutely does but matter. Not, it matters to you, but it doesn't matter. To no, you. it does matter to the movie. It doesn't matter to the movie. It absolutely does. It, it matters to her. You're you're seeing this the way that you want to see it. It's not. No, I don't think that's true. But like, what are you using as evidence to support what how you what you're saying? That's a good question. There's there's a real evidence in the sequence where she like looks at them as children, and but that's the thing. So she realizes they're children, but they he's also more of an adult than she is, and that's why she goes to work for the politician. But in working for the politician, she realizes that, or, or it, we don't even have to go to the politician yet. She's with an adult in the Jack Holden scene. These guys mm-hmm. are adults. They're drinking martinis. 
They're smoking all these cigarettes. But they're ultimately children. But they're ultimately children. They act yeah. just like children. They act more like children than Gary does. No, just as much as children as Gary does. But Gary never put her... Gary never asked her to jump over a pit of fire on a motorcycle. Gary, all Gary ever asked her to do is help herself water. Help himself Are you water. really fucking apologizing for Gary in this movie? Like... I'm not sure where you're going with that. I don't... I don't know. There's... I'm not apologizing There's... for anyone. That's, the, the, the thing in this movie is that I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson is apologizing for anyone either because the last two s- sequences in this movie of, of um, Gary announcing in his... After they find each other, Gary announcing like Mrs you know, um, Alana Valentine, and then when they're running down the street and he says, and she says, I love you, Gary, are clearly, like, in but his, are clearly in his Like, mind. all of his responses to everything that's happening around them is, is, is childlike. Like, when they're coming back on, like, when they're coming back with John Peters, um, after he fucking beats up the Ferrari's window, like, he's so excited about what's happening, and she's fucking terrified. I wouldn't say she's terrified. No, she is absolutely terrified. But I think she knows that she got they got out of it because it goes. No, she doesn't. What the fuck are you talking about? Do you so mean in what way doesn't she think that they got out of it? Because the her entire Alana Haim's entire face when they're going down that hill is determination. Is determination and fear. No, no, but I'm talking about after, like the reaction to that after. Oh, after it, yeah. But I'm saying. But then, like the entire time, she has to like. Bury herself while John Peters is like trying to like do the fucking peanut butter story. Sure, but it's not the, about but the, like what? But it's not about the John Peters scene. It's about the scene after that when she's film. They're filming that she employs Gary and his friends to shoot the commercial for um, and they keep fucking for Benny Safdie. But then afterwards, she like gets in his face and he calls her old, and you know about the pinball machines. Mm-hmm. And so he's already got concocted this idea for a new business, and she's like criticizing him, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to. She says I'm trying to save the world, and you just want to sell pinballs. So which one is more adult? Because is she actively trying to save the world, like, and he's just trying to sell pinballs? And then right in that, in the middle of that scene, she says she flips it from making fun of him to I will drive you to go look at pinballs. (laughs) She instantly recognizes, and is constantly fighting. The idea of, like, what is it, where am I? So, like, I've got a line right here, like, that bisecting my computer, and I'm, like, going back and forth on it. The beauty of the Alana Haim character is that she constantly goes back and forth between Agreed. what does it mean Agreed, to be a yeah. grown-up, what does it mean to be a fucking kid? These guys, Benny Safdie and his, and his boyfriend, are acting just as child. Benny Safdie is acting just as childish oh, absolutely. As, as Gary is. Benny Safdie is acting just as childish as an amazing Sean Penn and Tom Waits are. Get Benny's uh, Gary Val, um, Gary is acting just as childish as fucking John Peters is. They're all they're all big fucking babies. Gary is not winning anything, and it's all and so like the 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 idea that this is Alana's movie comes from I think the idea that she's the one that is taking in these experiences and making changes where Gary is just doing Gary stuff the whole just, entire time. But it doesn't end up being her movie is what bothers me. Um, no. 
But I think it's both of their movies. That's why she's being run as like a lead, a, a, a lead actress. And she's a lead. She, could, she uh, is the lead. Alana Haynes is the lead and in think, this. But like, and I think she. I think the she, entire like right, finish this that, movie's I like. I said that at the beginning of the thing that I think this movie's one flaw is that there's. I think this is movie's positioned as Gary's movie, but Gary. Um, even when Gary's in the, even when Gary's in the movie, he kind of it disappears is a long at, movie. Yeah. at various Agreed. points of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I actually, but I don't think I think this reminds me a lot of the Punch Drunk Love in the sense that I, I'm not 100 sure Paul Thomas Anderson is asking us to take this as seriously as the Master or as no, you're right. Oh no, I'm not looking at this at all. You know like what I mean? That, it's, yeah. it's a it's a good fucking time and like it's a it's a masterclass in good in good times. Like and he's out. He's the hill stuff. The is, set pieces. Yeah. The, the hill, and especially like the last. And that's the thing. I, I I always resist like that. Like a director is commenting on his own work type of stuff. But there's no way that we're not seeing a mirror between like the Alana Haim navigating this car backwards on a hill to um, like the end of Boogie Nights. You know what I mean? Where they're like just cascading. Like in neutral down this hill, like fleeing Alfred Molina, like trying to kill them because they just assume that you know um, John Peters is going to find them and kill them for like fucking up his car. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is a conversation. It's, it's, a, it's a bigger conversation. This, I I would want to reevaluate this movie in a year. I think. I want to look at this movie a year from now. We're like, well, you're not going to get an opportunity to. You're going to have to reevaluate it in like three weeks. Well, I'm going to because I'm going to be commenting on it again in three. Oh, weeks. I know, but like, I will not. I will not be. One? Oh yeah, you're I won't be. Yeah, because it came out in right. 2020. I won't be criticizing it. I'm just saying, like, it does not work for me for like, I don't know, not intimate reasons, but for like reasons that like. I expect from Paul Thomas Anderson or whatnot, and it just it just isn't narratively. I expect more from Paul Thomas Anderson, and I did not do any of those things. Versus like what the actors were bringing to it. I love your <laughs> hanging on to the. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. Um... This is like the I biggest disagree. disagreeance we've ever had in this podcast, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, but I think it's, it is, I mean, it's just a movie, so who cares? It doesn't make any difference. Pivotal film once, once happened, and then it ended. January 11th, 2022. JP was here. JP, do you want to do a podcast what about are, horror movies? What is this, Star Trek JP, J- JP, <laughs> JP, do you want to do a horror movie? Captain's Log. <laughs> Final pivotal film. All right, let's take a quick break um, so me and Mario can punch each other. <laughs>